Well, good morning, Hillcrest Covenant Church. My name is Pastor Brad Bergfalk. I'm on the staff here. I'm the interim lead pastor here at uh, Hillcrest Covenant Church. And this has been quite a week, and I want to um, uh, introduce you to a new friend that I just met this morning. We talked on the phone this past week, um, Marvin Daniels. I'm going to ask him to come up, and he's going to join me in the empty seat up here on the stage, and uh, we're going to have uh, a conversation together. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of things have happened in the past week, and uh, we felt like this would be a wonderful way for us to sort of get our head around uh, all of the ways that God is and, and will use this uh, for the furthering of the kingdom. Marvin comes to us uh, as the executive director of the Hope Center in Kansas City, Missouri, and I hope, Marvin, you take an opportunity to tell us a little bit about what that is. But before I do that, Marvin said, uh, you don't have to uh, tell them all of the things on your introduction. Just tell them that I am married to uh, Leandra for 29 years, and he has five children, Malachi, Isaiah, Micah, Imani, and Nia. So, Marvin, thank you very, very much for being with us today. And uh, please tell us a little bit about the ministry of Hope Center. Brad, thank you again for the privilege of, of being here. And um, I'm going to make sure my mic's on. There you go. Okay. Uh, again, Brad, thank you again for the privilege of being here with the Hillcrest Covenant community. Um, and the family. My wife and I have been married for 30 years, and so I got to make sure I get that in, um, especially with her being here. Uh, we have had the privilege. The, the Hope Center is in its 21st year. Um, Hillcrest Covenant family have been a part of uh, working and serving at the Hope Center as well. Uh, for 21 years, God has used this community youth development organization in on the east side community of Oak Park and, and um, Santa Fe and and um, also the Palestine and Ivanhoe communities to be salt and light. But as our mission states is for we to provide developmental opportunities uh, for the most vulnerable to have hope and flourish. And that's our desire. And so everything we seek to do, rather it's our, uh, our charter school, Hope Leadership Academy, or whether it's our, our clinic, Hope Family Care Center, or our initiatives that we're seeking for affordable housing, uh, we have a church facility that we want to see remodeled and rehabbed. Uh, we just placed a, a brand new playground for our community and our school to utilize. Uh, we just acquired more property to be able to expand our services to our community. So we have a great staff with great days ahead of us. Um, if, I, if, if the COVID thing goes away, can I come down and, and see the, the ministry? <laughs> Would that be okay? With or without COVID, okay. we, we got a plenty of masks for you to be able to come and see what's going on. Um, in light of all the things that are going on right now in our community, in our culture, uh, tell me uh, what you are seeing, hearing, and feeling in the midst of this current crisis. Yeah. Uh, if I can, just to back up a little bit, uh, we've had friends, I've had friends calling me from all around the country um, just want to be, you know, expressing their concern for me. Some I've heard from that are on a regular basis. Others I haven't heard from for five to ten years. Um, but one of the things that as they have asked me a question, uh, Marvin, what is it that, you know, I should be doing? Um, the, the first thing I wanted to remind them is I, I need you to 
to interrupt some languages that you see happening, some conversations that are taking place. People are talking about uh, the riots or the looting uh, that they see there. And I said, that's the wrong conversation. What I'd like you to do is answer this question. The people, rather is Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor or George Floyd or the many others that have not been videotaped, what you have seen, have it disturbed you about seeing God's divine creation life snuffed out of them? If that has that disturbed you, that's the first question that you need to answer for yourself. Mm -hmm. Did what I see disturb me? Because oftentimes in evangelicalism, we do have a desire and we are forthright on making sure that we preserve life that is in the womb. But it also seems as if we don't care about the life that is outside of the womb. So the first question is, do you see the dignity of humanity violated? Before we can start talking about the acts of looting or rioting that has taken place or peaceful protests. And so as a, I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, um, and also in Jamaica, Queens. And, and I've had the, the privilege of being in the diverse community in Brooklyn and in Queens. And we have had opportunities where we've seen things that have taken place that definitely uh, had read this ugliness of racism in our community and in our context. The other aspects of that as I, sat down as a child from five years on and, or uh, five years old and, and to this date. Uh, people are, it's, it's interesting because really our perspective is what drives oftentimes our reactions, our actions, or our questions. Um, and those perspectives come from our context, it comes from how we pre uh, perceive people, the color that they may be, or their class base that they may be. Um, very seldom about the content of character because in order for you to judge that, you have to be in relationship with someone. And so we, we wrestle with that throughout our lifetime with even our police officers. And, and I've, I've seen on our cards the cards that says to serve and protect. And I believe that. Mm -hmm. But somehow, in, even as a, at the age of seven and eight years old, um, that has not been my experience in terms of my interactions uh, with our police officers. And, and by the way, we have, I have family members who are police officers. We have tremendous friends that we know uh, are great character who are carrying out the role of serving and protecting in our nation. But those that I have interacted with um, haven't been favorable. Uh, the way they have spoken to me, uh, the way that they have handled us as individuals, we just saw that in those eyes of those that we've encountered, there has been a lack of the dignity of humanity. And I'm not only just talking about as a child, but as a minister driving the streets, uh, coming from church, you know, speaking at white, predominantly white congregations and coming out of their parking lots. My wife has been present with me during those times. And it has been very, very interesting, this conversation that is that's taking place right now. And if I would, if I could, especially since I'm talking to the Hillcrest family, uh, one of the, the greatest things that I have enjoyed most about this pandemic, and I believe God never 
waste of crisis is that we're in the situation we're in having the conversations that we're having and my wife brought this up to me to remind me is because we have pressed pause in, the, in our lifestyles and we have seen we have heard things that we would not normally see or hear we've had the opportunity to just wait for a moment and to listen to news watch news and so because we haven't been engaged in our day-to-day -day activity running to and fro back and forth engaged at work engaged in our regular um, conversations with people or relationships or, or entertainment we've had to see things we would not normally see and as a result of that we're seeing the reactions not just nationally but because it's a global pandemic, we're watching a global response. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of uh, places I could go yes. from there. Uh, and you've, you've set the table for us to begin to think about this. And, and the fact that uh, we're at, we may be asking the wrong question, thank you for reminding us of that. Because I think that, that if you don't get the first question right, then the whole conversation after that doesn't, doesn't turn out well. But uh, let's personalize this a little bit and let me ask you, how does your faith inform your understanding both of what's going on right now but of racial reconciliation? Mm -hmm. uh, you, when you did the introduction, you shared about my three sons, mm -hmm. Isaiah, Malachi, and Micah, and my two daughters. And so my African-American sons, uh, Malachi was born in Boston, the others were born in Chicago uh, where I met my wife. And one of the things that we have always had to have conversations about, and those conversations became a lot deeper as we moved from Chicago to Southwest Missouri in the town of Branson, where I served with Kids Across America camps. For 12 years, we've lived in Branson. And of course, as you know, Southwest Missouri and the Ozarks, that's a homogeneous community. And we were uniquely African-American, uniquely black in that context, along with a handful of others. And one of the things that I had to help my, my children understand, and my wife had to help my children understand, is, is their identity, who they are. Uh, we always, every morning when we pray with our children, we would conclude our prayer by saying these words, I am a Daniels and I am a child of God. And so we wanted them to know the Daniels family is who you represent. The child of God is who you are. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted them to always go to school knowing that that's important, mm -hmm. is that who you are biblically is what's going to inform you culturally. And so we would have the opportunity to engage in some hard conversations, you know, in Branson. And God had prepared me for that because when I was in college back in 1984, I, and I got to applaud Campus Crusade for Christ for this. They would do what is called a summer project. Mm -hmm. And this summer missions project would bring together college students, rather they go on beach projects or city projects. And I went on a city project to uh, Washington, D.C. And it was 27 of us, um, 10 on the East Coast for the very first time. And of the 27, uh, it was split between male and female, but there was only two of us that was African-American. Me and Michael Thomas, I was from Brooklyn, New York. Michael Thomas was from Jackson, Mississippi. And we had to live from May to August in a fraternity house together. And that 
was an interesting experience. That was the foundational experience that God would use for me to understand John 15 through John 17. John 15 says, I call you my friends if you do what I say, that which helps me to understand that friendship is coupled with obedience. And then at the conclusion of it is that he says, this is my command that you love one another. Well, I would not know what that really meant until this experience. Living together. We started off with the first, the first week with being polite discussions with each other. Mm -hmm. But we were going to live with each other from May through August. So we quickly moved from polite discussion into dialogue. You know, rather we were commenting about the types of food that we were eating with each other or how we brushed our teeth and, and shampooed our hair in the mm -hmm. sink. I mean, we went through um, ongoing relational issues and then we finally got to some of the crux of our relationship and that was how we viewed each other uh, our understanding of one another um, Nancy Lane to this day we we would have this conversation she says you know what you shook me when you said responded to me when I said something you said Nancy you sound racist and we laughed it off at that moment, but later that evening, she came back to me and she says, Marvin, you said something that I had to think about, and I believe it might be true of me. And from that time on, from Nancy to the rest of my brothers and sisters on that summer project, we dived deep with each other on our perspectives and our perception of one another, how we grew up, how we see the flag. Um, for some, the flag represents liberty and justice and peace. For others, it represents oppression and degradation and terrorism. For others, it represents annihilation of a race. And so we have different perspectives together. And we talked about how our privileges informs our perspectives. And oftentimes, when we deal with white America, they see the world through their own lens. And that lens become the dominant lens that they believe everybody else ought to see the world. And that's why they have difficulty in being able to, to talk or dialogue about race or bigotry or oppression is because if they're not from that lens, then their lens only allow them to see one perspective in one manner. And we got that that summer. So much so that in 2020, of the 27 that was there, 15 of us still keep in touch. Mm. We still keep in touch to this day. And so it's pulling down the layers. Uh, the second part of that is my parents grew up in the rural south of South Carolina. And I would go. They would send me to get me out of the city. They would send me to South Carolina. And I would watch my grandfather and grandmother put their eyes down to the ground when they were talking to uh, one of their white peers. I would watch how the rural South would relate to one another. And I hated it. And I hated being there. And I thought too much of my relatives and family members I, who I looked up to to say, look, y'all just as important. And they would remind me the South is different. The South is different. And for 30 years, I would watch my grandparents pray for uh, the ability to have oneness and peace and the opportunity for people to see them as God has created them. Mm -hmm. For 30 years till their death, from the 60s to um, the 90s, I've watched them pray that prayer. And sometimes it get weary. Mm -hmm. 
mm -hmm. uh, praying that prayer and still not seeing humanity, the dignity of humanity and the equity of humanity being expressed in this land of liberty where we call or we say in our preamble, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they are endowed with certain inalienable rights, which are rights that cannot be taken that was given to us by God in our pursuit of justice and, and liberty for all. So it, it sounds to me like the, the, one of the key factors for you has been forming deep relationships with people beyond just the, hey, how you doing? Um, you know, go Chiefs. Mm -hmm. And um, in, a, in a time like this, when, when things are particularly um, difficult, how would you suggest we began to do that as, as individual followers of Jesus that want to be part of the, uh, of, of the solution and not part of the problem? Yeah. And, and so that I would clarify, especially for those who are watching today, is that there are four things that I want to I want to respond to in that way that moves us as as believers. I'm not looking for the culture to lead us in this walk of oneness. Um, so I want to just say to everybody that oneness does not mean sameness. Um, and so we get the privilege of first and foremost as individuals. Uh, we as a body of believers, our hearts first and foremost have to be transformed. Uh, when our hearts have been transformed by the truth of the gospel, then it causes us to respond accordingly. Uh, Micah 6.8 doesn't just simply say that we ought to uh, love mercy or walk humbly. It also compels us to act justly. That's a response to being able to walk humbly and to love mercy. We, we also individually have to be completely compelled as believers that God's divine creation of humanity is God's stamp. And because of that, we got to see people the way God sees them. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't look no longer. That's, that's the, the beauty of 2 Corinthians 5.17 about being new creations in Christ, mm -hmm. is that Christ's blood that has washed that we're going to celebrate in communion today, his body that was sacrificed perfectly on our behalf, allows you and I to be able to go beyond the things that we've once learned, the ideologies that we once held, and be able to move out in, in truth and love and holiness, expressing to a world what it truly means, John 17, that the world will know that you truly are my disciples by the love that you display for one another. And so when there's a fog in the, the pulpit, there's always going to be a mist in the pew. And, and so we got to make sure that we, as individuals, first and foremost, that our hearts have been transformed uh, by, the, by what Jesus has done in us so that we have the ability to see people as God truly sees them and not based upon my own ideology or how I once grew up. The second thing is family. It's I have to cultivate my family and to truly believe in the love of humanity that God has created and in the various ways God's created humanity. In the beauty of the hues, you know, that children at the age of four and five can sing Jesus loves little children, red and yellow, black and white, we're precious in the sight, but by the time they get to college, they can't no longer sing that song. Uh, it's been distorted 
that's been disturbed, that's been um, destroyed in their own hearts and minds. And so family members got to begin to understand that what kind of values are we teaching and transferring to our children? Uh, are they biblical values or cultural ones? I believe that the Bible teaches that what is cultural has always become secondary to what is biblical. And if what is biblical must always precede that which is cultural. And so for, I, we will never deny our ethnicity. We will never deny what it means to be African-Americans in this country. But we love the beauty of culture. When we was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, we were in a congregation that represented 18 different languages from 22 different nations. When we had potlucks, we had world fests. You know, it was the beauty uh, of seeing all humanity as God has created them. And they did not have to be the same in order for us to be able to walk in oneness mm -hmm. with each other. And so I want to implore families, what you teach your children, what they're growing up to know and understand about people, is either gonna be from a cultural lens or it's gonna be from a biblical lens. And I still believe Ecclesiastes, the last chapter reminds us that we will be judged by all that we do rather than it's good or evil. The third aspect is the church. That the church must continue to be God's mouthpiece on this earth. And it's a struggle because if the church is not saying the same thing God is saying, that's already a problem. Yeah. Uh, for, we have traded our prophetic voice for a partisan seat at a table. And that has become tragic to the, to the mouthpiece of the church and who we are in identity. From Nathan and Samuel, from, from uh, John the Baptist, from Esther, from Ezra, uh, we continue to utilize these prophets to speak to the power that existed in culture and bring to bear the truth of the gospel. Acts chapter 16, Paul protested about the, the governing officials that tried to hinder them from communicating the truth of the gospel. The church is positioned to be God's kingdom interest expressed mm -hmm. on the earth. That when people see us, they see the kingdom that is to come already expressed on earth. We're not dealing with just a cultural problem. We're dealing with the fact that the church has been bifurcated and commingled by the culture. And we, as a result of that, we speak the voice of the dominant culture instead of the voice of the kingdom. And so we got to come back as the body of Christ to represent God's truth to the culture and that we're not looking at our partisanship of where we stand as if it represent the interests of the kingdom. God didn't give the great commission to the government. He gave it to the church. And so you and I as the body of Christ worldwide and nationwide, we're called to the kingdom first and we are resident citizens of the kingdom for all of eternity. And therefore on this layover on earth, we got to be the expression of the kingdom. And that means how we relate to one another and not treating others as the other. And then finally is the culture. It's the community uh, that we live in. It's that we once had um, what we call the, the promise keeper movement. And we were looking about reconciliation. And, and people talk about racial reconciliation all the time. 
I like to talk about racial righteousness because in definition of reconciliation, reconciliation is defined in this way. Jesus expressed himself that a relationship between God and those he's created, humanity, was broken because of sin. Jesus came to this earth as a perfect sacrifice to reconcile mankind back from a broken relationship of sin to being in relationship again. When we talk about racial reconciliation, then that also implies that we had a relationship that was broken. And in this country, we have never had a relationship you know, between cultural groups. And so, especially between Africans that have been enslaved here in America, and not just in the 1600s, we're talking about prior to 1500, uh, when the Portuguese were involved. But we, we come to a place where we recognize that in this community, we're not seeking racial righteousness. We're seeking to forge authentic relationships that are governed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm only talking about the church right now that have the opportunity to express one's, one another in the authenticity of relationship that is governed by faith, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, that allows us to be able to empower each other and to be able to utilize the, the truth of the gospel to continue to deal with the, the sin that continue of racism that manifests itself upon us. Mm. However, on the last aspect of that, is that we too then bring the truth to bear to the culture. That we also have to represent what that looks like to the culture. And so that means for us that we engage culture. Uh, and we engage culture authentically. You know, we engage in culture with the love towards one another. How do the cultures see the church relate to each other? How do the cultures see how we come together? How do the cultures see us speaking on behalf of one another? Philemon plays this role. In the book of, in the letter of Philemon, Paul's letter to Philemon, Onesimus leaves him and he probably took something from him or stole something from him as he escaped mm -hmm. as a slave from Philemon's household. He goes and he encounters Paul. There's a conversion that takes place. So much so that the gospel gets a hold of Onesimus and he becomes a proclaimer of the truth and he encourages the life of Paul. Paul, after time with him, says, Onesimus, in order for us to make relationship right, you need to go back to Philemon. And then he writes a letter to Philemon. And he leverages his position in Philemon's life he says, Philemon, you know that you owe me your life. But I'm sending you back Onesimus. I'm not sending him back to you as your slave. I'm sending him back to you as your brother. And while I could demand that you do this, I'm not going to. I'm going to ask and implore to your own heart that you receive him back as your brother. And so for us... We need, when we talk about race relationships, we need to be able to say, do my white brothers and sisters leverage their position in the culture on behalf of empowering their brothers and sisters of color? I went four, four aspects. I know I gave you a lot just now, 
but those uh, are the ways that I see how, first and foremost, we as the body of Christ need to begin to galvanize this conversation that we've been having for decades. Marvin, um, I, I, you, you, I feel like I've been drinking out of a fire hydrant right now, and um, thank you. Th thank you for giving us a, a framework for understanding what's going on in our culture and for how we as uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, in God's kingdom, can begin to model kingdom values to our culture. And I think it's not ironic that we're going to celebrate communion together this morning. Um, and so I, I just want to, again, thank you very much for your willingness to share from your heart about a lot of these things. As our people are sitting in their, church, in their homes right now, I hope you have your communion elements ready. Um, I'm going to invite you to join us by saying uh, the invitation to the Lord's Supper, and we're going to pray a prayer of confession that will come up on your screen, and then we will partake of the elements together. 